0: Welcome to Roman Cola for the Soul, a non judgmental Christian community for people who are brave enough to keep it real. With your host, Cindy Felcool, a lady who loves to share stories and likes to laugh at her own jokes. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Cindy Felcool, and It is absolutely true that I laugh at my own jokes, and I frankly find myself hilarious, so I hope you do too. But either way, there's going to be a lot of laughing going on in my podcast. I'd like to give a special shout out to all the millennials who followed my blog and encouraged me to podcast, and mostly that encouragement sounded like, um... I liked what you had to say in your blog, but it's a lot of words. Could you read them to me (laughs) or people will be like, can I just call you and talk to you about it? Because there's so many words there and I'm joking about that. But I actually do appreciate that young people wanted to listen to things that I had to say. And I really do appreciate what millennials have to add to the conversation which may not be what you feel from a lot of people my age, but I really do appreciate especially the fact that millennials are very intolerant of BS. And I'm so sorry that my generation has given you such tremendous loads of BS to be intolerant of. And unfortunately, a lot of that BS came from the religion that we handed down to you guys. And I hope that you listen to my introduction and you understand a little bit about how reading the Bible like an English teacher will actually keep you from a lot of that BS that my generation handed down to you. In fairness, it was handed down to us too, guys. So just give us a little grace there. So I'm going to start today's podcast with a little story that's going to explain to you exactly how weird my family is and how much we're into this whole reading the Bible like an English teacher thing. So, the story goes like this. When my son was in college in Tennessee, he called me one day out of the blue and he's like, Mom, are you busy? Uh, do you have time to talk about something that's kind of important? Let me just tell you guys something right now. Don't ever start a conversation with your mom like that. <laughs> Don't try to ease, ease us into anything because the minute you tell us that something's important, we're freaking out. And so that was what was happening with me. My son's calling me and he's telling me he has to talk to me about something really important. And of course, I'm freaking out. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what did you do? What happened at college? Did you get in an argument with your professor, which was a really likely scenario? Or, you know, are you failing? Did you get in trouble? Are you did you have an accident? What's going on? And he's just kind of, you know, being real casual, like he's got to tell me something. And so, of course, you know, I'm trying to play it cool because as a mom of a college student, I didn't want him to, you know, I didn't want to freak out because then he'd never call me again. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, sure, honey, I've got time to talk. So then he introduces what he has to talk to me about by saying, you know, your favorite Bible story. And I was like, yeah, the woman caught in adultery. And now I'm totally freaking out because why would you introduce whatever important thing it is that you have to say to me by bringing up the story of the woman caught in adultery? Now I'm like, um, what did did you sleep with the professor's wife or something? What is it you're getting ready to tell me here? So then we keep talking and he goes, well... We talked about that story in Bible class today and it turns out that John probably didn't write that story. And I'm like, oh, whoo, I think I could <laughs> I think I can handle this. I was my mind went all at worse places when he brought that up. And you may think, well, that's a really over the top dramatic way to talk about a Bible story. And you probably think, wow, you guys are just such weirdos. And both of those things are true. But there's a couple of things that you need to understand about this story in order to put this all into perspective and know why my son called me in such a dramatic way to share this little bit of information with me. And the first thing that you need to know is that I love the story of the woman caught in adultery. And I don't mean I just like it a little bit. I'm kind of obsessed with this story in the Bible. And my son knew exactly how much I liked it. I liked this story so much that I had a print of a painting of that story hanging in the hallway at my house. And you may be thinking, Cindy, that's really not that big a deal. Plenty of people have religious paintings hanging in their house. And you're right. Except for me, I'm a super big critic, and I probably shouldn't share this publicly, but I'm a really big critic of religious art. And mainly the the thing that I'm super critical of is what's up with all these white dudes? I mean, come on guys, it's 2018. Can't we do some pictures of like, you know, ethnically accurate pictures of Bible stories? But anyway, and then there's the whole Halo thing, which drives me crazy. And I get it. I understand that people didn't read a long time ago. And I know about the history and that they had to show you which characters were the good ones and stuff like that. But I would just like to see some modern, you know, interpretations of these things a little more ethnically accurate. And also, anyway, that's just a little side rant to let you know that for me, I don't like having a lot of religious art in my house because... First of all, I think it, <laughs> I shouldn't tell these things, but I kind of feel like, you know, it makes people uncomfortable when they come over if you have all that. But I love this story so much that, that I had a picture hanging in my house and above that picture, I had the Bible verse, John thirteen thirty four, which says, as I have loved you, so you should love one another. And I would stop in the hallway and look at this picture and just think about what Jesus did in this story. And I would just pray for God to help me learn to love people like that. And at the time, I was working with at-risk youth who had a lot of problems. I really cared about these kids a lot, and it was hard for me to figure out how to love them in the way that Jesus did. Meaning, I wanted to separate them from the things that had happened to them and help them see themselves the way God did. So, anyway, it was like a constant prayer of mine, and I and I talked about the story probably way too much. So that's one reason that my son called me and was, you know, afraid that I was going to be upset when I learned this about the story of the woman caught in adultery. And the other thing that you should know about my family is that. We come from a very conservative background, and I shouldn't say that my family is conservative because um, that would not be accurate, but we did go to conservative churches, and we tried I mean, we've just never been really good at being conservative because we have a lot of questions, and I have a wild streak like ten miles wide. But anyway, we were around people who would completely freak out if you told them about this. Like, I shared this with some money that John didn't write this story, and this guy just yelled at me and got in my face, and like, you're doubting the divine apostolic authorship of the Gospel of John, and he said. If you don't believe that, then you don't believe the whole Bible, which is pretty extreme. And if you read any decent modern translation of the Bible, you're going to see this as a side note that they don't actually know who wrote this or where it fits into the gospel stories. So I guess when my son called me, he wasn't sure if I was going to be one of the freak out people. Which, now that I think about it, is a little bit insulting. I'm going to call him when this is over. Anyway, when my son called me that day, I had never actually heard that John didn't write the story. And when I went and researched it, I found out that it actually makes it even a little bit cooler, if you think about it. Because the truth of it is, as these letters were going around and being circulated in the early church, as they were putting together the Gospels in the way that we know them today, this story of the women caught in adultery was one of the stories that made it in that the early church thought this is an important story that we need to keep. And I don't just love that because I myself am a <laughs> unrecognized author and just love the idea that one little story got stuck in there. <laughs> it's even more important because this was a story that the early church said when we think about jesus this is a story that shows what he was all about and the story is important to us and so we want to keep that and if you think about that this is the people that would have known what happened to that woman after the story and they would know the stories about like what she ended up as and, you know, what her grandchildren were like and how that story all ended. And they loved what they saw and what they remembered about it. And they wanted to keep this story. And I think that makes it even more awesome. Before I go any further, just in case you're like, I don't know the story about the woman caught an adultery, Cindy. I'm going to share the story with you. And the story is found in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And I know that we just talked about that we don't know who wrote this story, but if you go to look it up in your Bible, it is going to be found in John chapter 8, because that's just where it landed. I'm going to be telling you the story from the Cindy Falco version of the Bible, which is a very loose paraphrase, and it's very flawed, and I don't suggest that it be your main source of Bible knowledge, but it is my go-to version. So in the Cindy Falco version, the story of the woman caught in adultery goes like this. Early in the morning, Jesus showed up at the temple courts, and everybody there was gathered around him, and he sat down in the middle to teach them. As this was happening, a group of Pharisees and some teachers of the law interrupted Jesus. The group of them were dragging a woman with them who had been caught in the act of committing adultery. They made this woman stand before all the people gathered there that morning, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of doing it with a guy that was not her husband. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone women like her to death. What do you have to say about this? Now, just a little side note here, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law already had it in for Jesus because he kept calling them out for all their hypocrisy. And they were just bringing this woman before Jesus to try to trap him because what the deal was is that the Jews didn't actually have the right to carry out a death sentence. So if Jesus said we should stone her to death, they were going to report him to the Romans and then he'd be in trouble with them. But if he said, no, don't stone her to death, then they would say, well, you're not agreeing with the law of Moses. So they thought they had him and they're like, oh, there's no way out of this. You're either going to make the Romans mad or make all the Jews mad by saying we don't have to listen to Moses. So this is what is so crazy awesome about the story. Imagine the tension of that moment. This woman is standing there wondering if everybody around her is going to pick up rocks and stone her to death. The people in the crowd are wondering, what is Jesus going to have us do? And the Pharisees and this group of teachers are all there thinking that they have Jesus trapped. And it wasn't just a couple of them. It was a group of people that came to try to set this trap for Jesus. Like, there's no way out of this. And this is it, guys. We've got him. All that tension is building and everybody's waiting for Jesus to answer. And Jesus, in the most chill move ever, leans over and he starts writing in the dirt And I love picturing the scene because everybody's probably just looking around like, um, what's happening here? And so the Pharisees and the experts in the law start being like, Hey, Jesus, uh, did you hear us? We got a question for you. And they kept asking him. And after a little while, Jesus straightened up. And I like to think that he looked around at everybody with this, like, I can see into your soul kind of look. But anyway, (laughs) he straightens up and he says, let any one of y'all who is without sin be the first one to throw a stone at this woman. And then he bent back down and started writing on the ground some more. When Jesus said this, everybody who heard him began to walk away one at a time. They didn't have a group meeting. They didn't discuss what their next step was going to be. They just all scattered. I feel like that as reality washed over them individually, that they all left not looking at each other. Finally, everyone was gone except Jesus and this woman. Once again, Jesus straightened up and he looked at the woman and asked her, where did everybody go? Has no one condemned you? And she replied, no one, sir. And then what I think may be some of the most beautiful words in the Bible, Jesus said, then I don't condemn you either. Go now and quit sinning. And there's so many things that I love about the story. I don't think I can fit it all into one podcast. And I thought about writing a second book about how much I love this story, but I don't think anybody would want to read that much about this one story, so I'm just going to try to hit the highlights for you guys here today. First, let's just consider how the religious leaders found a woman in the act. And I know that's a creepy thing to think about, but it does make the story a little bit more cool if you think about... There had to be more to the story than this. I mean, if you think about it, committing adultery is one act that people are really good about being secretive about. And even today, people still hide that very well. And I'm sure back in the ancient day when the technical rule was we're supposed to pick up rocks and throw them at you until you're dead. I'm sure that back then people were even more secretive about their affairs. So how did these religious leaders know where to find this woman? Of course, you could say, well, people gossip and all that, but... If they had just heard rumors or gossip or something like that, why didn't they bring the guy in? This is the kicker in this whole scenario of thinking about this. The guy was obviously there because they caught her in the act. And not bringing the guy in made this obvious huge loophole that somebody had to have thought of because there was a group of them and everybody knew the rules. So there had to be some reason to not include him. And obviously, whatever that reason was, it was a pretty big deal for them. And I will freely admit that I'm a little bit jaded when it comes to things like this. Years of working with people that live in poverty and people that have been abused and different things like that. And the things I've seen over the years have left me jaded. And I freely admit this. But one thing that I've seen over and over, and I've read about all throughout history, is that people in power often treat people in poverty as if they're objects. And unfortunately, this very often includes religious leaders. And sometimes I think maybe even more so. So I'm saying all that to say that I strongly suspect that the religious leaders didn't bring the dude in because he was one of them. And if he wasn't one of them, he was somebody that was important to them. Which, if you think about it, makes this story even a little more cruel, but it also makes Jesus' response a little more awesome. Total disclaimer here, and that's completely conjecture that's based on circumstantial evidence, human nature, and, of course, my jaded interpretation. It's still really likely, though. And no matter what, it's obvious that the religious leaders had no regard for this woman. They just... Caught her in the act, drug her before Jesus, and said that she needed to be put to death. She was a pawn for them and their plan, and she had no rights. But another crazy, awesome thing about this story is Jesus' defense of her. He said, Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And that's actually a horrible defense. Like, if you think about it, you would never use that in a trial in a court. You're not going to be like, oh, I know that Johnny killed people. But really, haven't we all done something? Which is crazy to think about because Jesus wasn't saying, well, we've all messed up. So no consequences for anyone anymore. In order to understand how crazy awesome this is, you need to understand a little bit about the Jewish religious culture of the day. See, the Jewish religious leaders did believe that everyone had some sin in their lives. They just also believed in this balance system where if you were good enough, you received God's favor. But if you had bad things happen to you, like illness or being born with a disability, those things meant that you were cursed by God and you did not have his favor. They actually believed this so much that if you look at John chapter nine, I mean, it's almost humorous that they believed this, but it's so sad. The disciples actually asked the question of Jesus when they saw a man who had been born blind. They said, did this man sin before he was born or did his parents sin to cause him to be blind? And that's crazy to think about. Like, I mean, there were actually people that wondered, like, did you sin in the womb to cause yourself to be blind? Which I don't know what babies are doing in there, but I don't think that they're messing up bad enough to cause God to be like, oh, you're going to not have eyesight. They seriously believed that all suffering was caused by sin, and obviously some suffering in the world is caused by sin, like if you're drunk and you get on a camel and you fall off the camel, then, you know, falling off the camel was caused because you were drunk. But that doesn't mean that every time you have an accident, it's because God's punishing you for sin. But they did have this almost parallel that they think every problem that you have was caused by a sin in your life. So the people that had lives of wealth and ease were considered to be in God's favor. If Jesus had been all about upholding this kind of thinking and he could have just ripped the Pharisees and the teachers of the law apart for not bringing the guy in. He could have just said, Listen, people, this is the deal. This woman sinned, she needs to be punished, and here's how we're gonna deal with the Romans. Just a little side note Jesus came to fulfill the law. But I don't really think that we want to go back to an Old Testament system of less stone everybody to death that gets caught in adultery (laughs) because a lot of you guys are going to be in trouble if we go back to holding all those laws and I'm not ready to give up bacon. Anyway, Jesus proved that making people better at upholding the Old Testament law was not what he was all about. If that had been his purpose, this would have been a great time for him to start out with that, like, hey, let's get rid of those filthy Romans. You know, I'm tired of not upholding all our rules and all that, and let's get better at doing this. Here's how we're going to handle all this. And what with him being God and all, I'm pretty sure he could have done whatever he wanted to right there. But that's not what Jesus was about. Jesus was not about seeking political power for himself, and he was not about making people better at following the rules. Instead... He used this opportunity to point out the hypocrisy of the religious elite and to free the woman from the consequences of her sins. He never once said to her, you aren't guilty. He said, I don't condemn you. Jesus saw that she was completely guilty of the crime that she was being accused of. He knew exactly what the Old Testament law was and the circumstance for how she should be punished. And he said, I don't condemn you. Think about the significance of that. Jesus, God in the flesh, showed in that moment what he was all about. Jesus came to show us how God sees us in our sin. While the world is condemning us and ready to throw rocks of judgment at us, and religion shames us and tells us that we deserve to suffer, Jesus wants to send all of those people away so we can hear him saying, I don't condemn you. And it's also very significant that Jesus told the woman to go and sin no more. Because think about what her life must have been like. What was that going to look like for her? This woman had just been brought before a whole group of people who now know what she was doing. You think people are bad today. Back then, people weren't super forgiving about that kind of thing. And women didn't have a lot of rights or potential for making money on their own. It's not like in that kind of society, she had a lot of potential for new guys wanting to, you know, oh, come be my wife. Everybody in town knows that you committed adultery. It would have been incredibly hard for her to walk away from whatever the mess and drama was in her life. We know how hard that would be today. It was exponentially harder back then. But Jesus gave her the ability because he said, I am God in the flesh and I don't condemn you. Now go and rise above that sin that has been controlling you. Of course, this woman didn't go the rest of her life and never do anything wrong again. Obviously, she struggled with sin the way we all do, but what he told her in that moment was that she had the ability to rise above the things that she had been enslaved to, because he didn't see her as defined by her mistakes, and he did not condemn her, even though it was obvious that she was guilty. That is why I love that story so much, because God in the flesh did not condemn this woman. And I think about all the people I've worked with through the years in my crazy career in education and volunteering with things in the church and just seeing people and meeting people and talking to people throughout my life. And that is the Jesus that I want the world to know. And it's what drives my podcasting and my writing and all the crazy things that I'm doing right now. And I've met all these wonderful people and these amazing survivors throughout my life. And I haven't always done a good job of presenting Jesus to them. Sometimes I was that condemning person that cared more about my religion than people. As I was putting this podcast together, I remember the story of a young mom who came up to me one day and she was talking to me about her boyfriend. And she said that he had cheated on her and then he wanted to come back to her, but she had already started living with someone else, the new guy that she was living with had a warrant out for his arrest and she didn't know what she should do about it because she really liked him but her old boyfriend wanted her back and her old boyfriend was the baby daddy but the person that he had cheated on her with was her sister and this whole long story and it just kept snowballing and get more and more dramatic and then in the middle of it all she looks at me and she goes well what would you do And I remember just like this deer in the headlights moment where I was like, I don't know. (laughs) And I remember this is terrible, but I joked about it with my friends and I was like, "Um, I don't know. We departed from what would Cindy do a long time ago in my middle class religious bubble. I didn't know what to say to her. I had no advice for this woman in that moment. When I looked at her, I looked at my life and I looked at her life. And the advice that I wanted to give her was how to make her life look like mine. There was this huge gap and I and I was hitting the nail on the head when I said we departed from what would Cindy Duvill a long time ago because I had no idea how this woman lived and what her life was all about and what led her to make the decisions she made. I didn't know how to give her advice about how to get her life to look like mine. I'm embarrassed and this is like not a good story for me to share about myself. It reveals how far away I am from being like Jesus. Because in that moment, I didn't see that woman's inherent value. I didn't see her the way God sees her. I just wanted her life to look like mine and I didn't know how to get her there. I'm embarrassed to admit how far I was from being like Jesus and I wasn't horrible. But I wasn't like Jesus either. And I wish I could go back in time and just slap 90 Cindy up against the head and just say, listen, this woman needs to know how much Jesus values her. She doesn't need you to fix her life. She needs to know that if she shared this with Jesus, he would say, I don't condemn you. You're my daughter. I love you. I want to walk through this with you and I want to give you the power to rise above all the things that are happening in your life right now. And that is so beautiful. And that's exactly what is modeled in the story of the woman caught in adultery that Jesus knew. He knew all about the mess that she was in and he told her to go and sin no more. Rise above it. Don't be controlled by this anymore. But she couldn't come to that point until she realized that God did not condemn her. But I, in my flesh, I kind of did condemn her. I kind of did think, you know, you need to get your act together and then maybe we can talk about you following Jesus. Unfortunately, I can't travel through time and correct all my stupid mistakes and the dumb things that I say to people all the time. I'm getting better at learning to love people the way Jesus did. And I still pray about it, even though I no longer have that picture. I'm learning to see the things that people struggle with as completely different from how valued they are. I think that is the message of the story about the woman caught in adultery. I want to get better at treating people the way Jesus did. I'm looking for a community of people to encourage me in that. And I want to hear from you guys. And I want to hear your thoughts about this. And I want to hear about times that maybe you've been hurt by people being like me. And what we could have done better. And what we can all learn from your stories. Thank you guys for listening and sharing my podcast with your friends. Because without you guys listening to me, I'm just a crazy woman sitting in a room talking to the wall. Thank you for listening. If you feel like another shot of rum and cola for your soul, check out rumandcolaforthesoul.com